1: This is Metal Mike, and in this episode, I talk with music promoter David Snowden. David gets me up to speed on what's going on with the new Eric Carr documentary. We also hear about his fan club work for Kiss, Vinnie Vincent, Britney Fox, and others. Check it out. Well, David, welcome to the 80s Glam Cast. How you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Appreciate you having me. Oh, man, really appreciate your time. What's going on? What are you working on right now? Anything you can share with us?
0: There's a couple things. There's uh, a KISS book that I'm working on doing some layout design with uh, that's going to get more heavily involved probably sometime September, October. I've uh, been working with Eric Carr's family on the documentary for the second documentary of his life, which is going to start pretty much from uh, Peter Chris leaving the band, Eric joining the band, all the way up until Eric left us. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that's like uh, The real big things that I'm working on I always have um, So many different things that run through the house All the time uh, With different bands So it's, it's interesting
1: um, With the Eric Carr documentary So I mean Most KISS fans have seen Tale of the Fox And I thought that was, was pretty cool What makes this one different How much more in depth will this get Versus that one
0: going to talk more about um eric's legacy and um who eric was as a person and really focus on those kiss years mm-hmm. um kind of like when somebody writes an autobiography an artist does that you really love it's kind of nice to hear about their childhood but you want to hear about their music years nice. you know you know particularly what you know need to hear about uh, somebody grew up at a certain time and that sort of stuff
1: yeah exactly when when do you anticipate that this could come out because i've been hearing about this for i don't know a year and a half or it's it's been a lot of talk of this for a while
0: uh actually they're hoping to get it out on the 30th anniversary of his death which would be november 24th of this year oh wow
1: so that's so it's coming soon then
0: Yes, I mean, um, they finished up a bunch of interviews, a lot of great people on it. You know, I know uh, John Fives on it, uh, Bruce Kulick again. You know, George Sewett was like a, a real big one only because George was there in the late 70s uh, with Kiss. He was there through the end of, um, you know, Peter Chris actually his last tour with the band and leaving the band. Eric coming in, Eric getting acquainted with the band. He was there all the way up until like 1983, so he's got a lot of stories talking about a lot of that cool stuff of how, you know, the band bought him the car, why they bought him the car, uh, the stories that you've heard about Eric, what, the paint a camouflage, you know, if that really happened, that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. things that went on uh, during that first Uh, The Palladium show, the first European tour, that first Australia tour. George had a lot of great stories, um, and the fact that he never really does any interviews um, makes it even more interesting, Mm -hmm. because, you know, to me, Bill Coyne was a part of the first one, and unfortunately, you know, he's no longer with us, so he wasn't able to participate in this, obviously, But it's like George Stewart was kind of like the next best thing because he was the KISS artist representative at the time. Mm -hmm. And he's got a really long history with KISS. Um, And even prior to that, I think George's stuff that he did even before KISS is probably more interesting than just the KISS stuff because he worked uh, for Sid Bernstein, and Sid Bernstein was the dude who brought the Beatles to America. Oh, wow! He brought the Rolling Stones over, you know, Herman's Hermit, you know, that sort of stuff. And from there, George jumped in and he worked with Jerry Weintraub, who, uh, uh, that dude promoted all these tours for like Elvis and Sinatra and the Four Seasons and Zeppelin. And Stuart was there for all of that stuff, so. He's certainly an interesting guy who's got a lot of history, and though a lot of that's not talked about in the Eric Carthing because it's focused on Eric's life. Sure. And that was one of the things that uh, had sat down with George beforehand, and I hadn't seen him in a lot of years, so it was, uh, was kind of like a nice little reunion, he and I sitting there talking and uh, going over all the stuff. So It was fun.
1: That sounds pretty cool. Um, What do you think uh, Gene and Paul will think of this documentary?
0: I think that they're going to look at it as being a really good tribute to Eric. I mean, that's what it's meant to be. This is not a um, a tell-all. This has nothing to do with uh, anything bad that may have happened, any arguments that they had within the bandits. It's it's not about that. This is a... celebration of eric's life and the impact that he left on everybody cool
1: that sounds pretty positive and uh i mean for me i got into kiss at around 86 so that was the drummer that i was always used to and uh it's just uh i can't wait to watch this because like i said i'm i'm a huge eric Carr fan love creatures of the night is probably my favorite drum album out, out of any band and uh it's just eric Carr was amazing
0: oh yeah you know and uh 80s were some good years for Kiss. I know, I know some of the diehards. I mean, I I started liking the band when I saw them on the Paul Wynn Halloween special back in 76. Okay, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And, you know, so when Eric joined, you know, no offense to Peter, but I just thought, wow, this is pretty cool. We're going to bring some new blood into the band. Mm-hmm. You know, band's going to go back to the way it was because they just had... You know, the Dynasty album, which was that, you know, disco, as everybody calls it, record. Then they did Unmask, which was pretty polished record. And, you know, Eric coming in, it was just like, wow, this is cool. And, you know, he's got a character. He's going to bring, you know, know, new thunder to the band. It's going to be a great thing. And then, of course, The Elder happened. It was like, oof. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah. But by the time Creatures came out, we were like, now this is what I'm talking about. This is who Kiss was, you know. They became a dangerous band again. Unfortunately, by the time Creatures happened, people, they weren't listening with their ears anymore. They were listening with their eyes. Mm -hmm. Which I thought was kind of ironic that, people didn't wanna hear the music, you would say kiss to them and they were like, oh, that's that band with makeup. But once they took it off and it was like, no, they took off the makeup, you haven't heard the record. And when people heard it, they were like, wow, what band came out of the ashes of all of that, but Motley Crue and became one of the biggest bands in the world. So you never know about trends. They go up, they go down and, you know, people like things for different reasons.
1: Exactly. So, uh tell everybody kind of how your Kiss journey got going because, you know, you, you did a fanzine, uh fan club, uh, unofficial in the 80s and and you got really close to these guys. Um want to talk about to that a little bit?
0: Yeah, it started um around the time The Creatures Night came out. Um I had subscribed to because Kiss wasn't as popular anymore. Uh, you really, the only, the only place you could really hear about Kiss or see any information about them was 16 Magazine, which was not a cool thing to walk in stores to <laughs> buy. No. And, um, <laughs> you know, started finding different fanzines that were happening. There was one in Canada in particular, which I thought was really great. It was called The Oath. Um, they had a couple little interviews, different things that they had printed from, various places um you know they that's where i learned that kiss had put out kiss killers Mm -hmm. and you know they had all of that stuff in there from there i got associated with the um kiss explorer army which was out of the netherlands and that guy was sending me stuff i was contributing stuff to him and that's when i finally thought well i can start my own newsletter We called it the Kiss Revolution, and started to make a little bit of waves with it, so much so to the point that when I sent the information to the band's management company, Clickman Marks, to... At least let them know what I was doing so that they were aware of it. They actually sent me a check for five bucks to join it themselves (laughs) because they wanted to make sure they got it. And in true Gene Simmons fashion, yes, I cashed a check. I made a photocopy of it, but then I cashed it. (laughs) Um, You know, but um, it wasn't, it was probably about six, eight months into it. And I got a call from a guy in Massachusetts um, by the name of Keith LaRue. Keith had called me, he had a uh, merchandising company that he called Kiss All, and he was trying to sell some KiSS merchandise, and he wanted to pair it up with what I had with the newsletter. And as we talked about it, we decided, let's just do a full-fledged you know fledged fan club where you know, we'd have the pictures, the folder, the membership card, all that stuff, you know, just like what the Kiss Army was. And that was our goal was to pick up where the Kiss Army left off and we called it the Kiss Force. I used the context that I had had, um, from doing the Kiss newsletter to get us backstage passes. Uh, we went to a bunch of shows in, uh, the New England area, mm-hmm. uh, on the Animalize tour. Eric Carr was really into it. I remember we were backstage at the, uh, Uh, Worcester Stentrum, Bruce Kulick walked in as we were talking to him. I told him I had the Blackjack album that he did with Michael Bolton Mm -hmm. and he was like, really? And I said, yeah. I said, I went to a used record store when I heard that you were touring with Kiss and I found it for a dollar and he thought that was really funny. (laughs) Um, But I asked him, I, I said, you know, would love to keep in touch with you. Can I get some information? So we can continue to follow your career because even then i always viewed it that once you're a part of the family you're always a part Mm -hmm. of the family lo and behold bruce ended up getting a gig but it was somewhere around the end of the animalized tour that i had pestered kiss's management enough that they finally let me do an interview with eric carr to start okay cool but even before yeah even before that i had done interviews with Benny Vincent, Ace Frehley, Peter Chris, you know, so it was like, I was really trying to push it, I mean, and it was, it was still a KISS fan club, you know, but I, you know, we did always want to, you know, cover the prior band members and anybody new that came in, and they finally agreed to do, let me do Eric, and um, after we did the interview with Eric, then everybody else just pretty much followed suit. So it worked
1: out really nice. That's awesome. So it sounds like you know it it, ta- it took a little work to to get to you know Paul and Gene. And you know the funny thing is as you're talking about this. It, I kind of fast forward to what goes on today and I think about all of us who do podcasting and obviously there was no YouTube and there you know wasn't all those kind of things um, that you can do now that you, know, you couldn't do that back then. But it almost reminds me of this. It's a similar kind of uh, trajectory that people take, you know, you start off interviewing the people that you can get and then, you know, and your guests kind of keep rising up and rising up. And I think all of us and sometimes us podcasters combine forces too, and do podcasts so it's kind of funny when I listen to this it has correlations to what goes on to uh, goes on today
0: oh absolutely and a lot of it though is you just have to be determined I mean, and, and I believe that with anything how I ended up getting my first interview with ace freely was I had uh, a bunch of kiss VHS uh, videotapes and one of them was the Kiss Inner Sanctum, the first tour that they did of Australia in 1980. And there was a little section that they talked to George Sillett, who happened to be the band's road manager and, and artist representative at the time. Well, I recognized George. I had heard that he was managing Ace Frehley. I got George's telephone number. I kept calling him. And I would leave him messages. He would never call me back. Ace did a little seven city tour right before the first Freely's Comet record came out. And this was in 1985. He was scheduled to play Scranton, Pennsylvania. So I went to Scranton, Pennsylvania. A friend of mine, he and I hopped in the car, we drove up. We got there, we went in, we saw the show. And because it was done in an old movie theater, they had the backstage door was actually just a curtain, wasn't even a solid door. And I thought, you know what, I, I got nothing to lose. I walked right through the back, you know, that curtain. I saw George Suet, I excused myself in between the band members, walked up to him, I said, George Sewitt. he looked at me, he goes, who the fuck are you and what <laughs> the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> and I just, I told him, I said, hey, I'm David Snowden. I've called you several times. I've left you messages. You haven't returned my call, so here I am. His response was, you know, it takes a lot of balls. (laughs) He said, said, you stay right here. And he turned and he said, Anton, hold on to him. Don't let him go anywhere. Well, Anton was Anton Mm Figg, who went on to play on the Freely's Comet albums. And then he was on the David Letterman's Late Night with David Letterman band. All that sort of stuff. So I hung out. I talked to him, Alter Stead, who was a keyboard player for Ace, Richie Scarlett, and John Regan. And then eventually, George came out. He grabbed me, and he took me into a room. Ace was sitting in a corner, and he told him. He said, Ace, he said, this is David Snowden. He does uh, Kiss fan club. He wants to do an interview. We're not doing it today. Right now, he just wants an autograph, and then we can talk about the rest of it later. Ace signed some stuff, we talked for a few minutes, George escorted me out and then he told me, he says, call me next week. Two weeks later, I'm interviewing Ace from the power station in New York City when he was recording a scratch vocal for Into the Night with uh, Tony Bon Jovi producing. Wow. That's you know, cool. which those were the demos that they used to shop to the record companies to try to get him a deal.
1: Interesting. Wow. Well, it does take determination, and and you you definitely have it. And then eventually, you went on to work with uh, Vinnie Vincent, and you did all his fan club stuff, right?
0: Yeah, and that became, um, because of the relationship that I had found Vinnie after he had left Kiss, uh, was able to get in touch with him, sending him many notes, and he was sending me letters back. And eventually he called me one day. And yeah, you know, he gave me his telephone number, he told me to call, you know, that he would love to continue to talk to me, give me some news for the newsletter to let people know what was going on in his career. And it just so happened his manager was also George Seward. And George met Vinny because George was with KISS all the way up until they hired Vinny as the guitar player. Because okay. that's around the time that Bill O'Coin, uh his ties were severed with KISS. And George actually worked for Bill O'Coin. George actually, he was one of the guys that they sent all around the country trying to locate guitar players and, you know, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but because he managed Ace, he was now managing Vinny, it was kind of a natural thing, and Vinny really wanted Keith and I to do his fan club. Keith wanted to stick with the Kiss one, and I mean, I love Kiss, my favorite band, but at the same time, when an opportunity is handed to you to actually, you know, elevate yourself to work uh, on an official status sort of thing mm-hmm. right there next to the artist, I mean, to me, that was an opportunity that I couldn't pass off. So I went in and... I ended up working with Vinny's band for three years, um, right up around the time that they broke up. I would say you know probably about six months before they broke up, since I had seen that coming along. You know, I was spending a lot of time in LA with the band, and you know, you you could see how the whole thing was kind of dividing mm-hmm. within the mix there. Sure, I started shopping to other bands and. One guy that I met on the first Invasion tour it was a guy out of Philadelphia. He kept telling me I needed to come up and check out this band, Britney Fox. And before I even checked them out, I sent my stuff over. I found out who their manager was, sent him my stuff. He called me up and he's like, man, he goes, we've been looking for you because my band wants what the Vinnie Vincent Invasion fan club had. That's what they want. And how can we make this work? And, you know, that kind of really started my whole career of doing, you know, fan club stuff, which at that time, that was like your, uh, I, I, you know, it was like social media is now. I mean, the, the real diehard fans, they followed it. They wanted it. We sent them the newsletters. We sent them any request that they had. I mean, if we wanted a song pushed to MTV, we sent information to the fans to get them and we developed networks of people that were calling, you know, it wasn't like we had room full of people or anything like that. I mean, nowadays record companies for Spotify, they're sitting there and they got, uh, you know, a couple dozen computers all lined up and they're spinning uh, on rotate, you know, Mm -hmm. on the repeat for their songs on Spotify, just to try to generate some income. We didn't have all that. We just had fans that we knew from different areas and we'd offered incentives. Like if you called up Dal TV, if you got on the air and you got to say, hey, this is Mike and my favorite brand is Brittany Fox, so please play girls' school. You know, if we heard it and we watched it every day, we listened to it, if we heard that, we sent you something. Because that meant something to us. Mm-hmm. You were doing us a favor, and we wanted to make sure that we said thank you and that that's how we operated all that sort of stuff
1: that's awesome let's talk about some of the personalities of some of these these people so I've talked to I've talked to Goran Edmund I've talked to um, Robert Fleischman so I've talked to a couple I've never talked to Vinny that's one of the like like you talk about persistence I always try to talk to these guys but sometimes you got to get the story from other sources so Um, What's your take on on the relationship Between like Vinnie Vincent and Mark Slaughter Because you know today Vinnie Vincent will not use Mark Slaughter's name He never has anything positive to say About the All Systems Go album Goran seemed to think that The label wanted uh, Mark Slaughter and Vinnie didn't really want Mark And that's kind of where some of the animosity came from Um, What's your take on all of that? What did you witness being an insider? Well
0: I mean I'm going to start off by saying that and this is not to take away from any artist that I've ever worked with because it's been way too many, but Vinny is probably single-handedly the most talented person I've ever worked with. The guy could really play guitar. That guy was an incredible songwriter, the way that he would put his lyrics together, the way he would word things. It was just really a very truly talented person. But when it comes to different things like business, or even ban things, not always the best person for that. Vinny initially did want uh, the dude from overseas. Mm -hmm. That's who he wanted to replace Robert Fleischman. He didn't initially want Mark Slaughter, but unfortunately, when you start looking at work visas, the fact that Person really, English was not their first language. Mm -hmm. How are they going to relate to these audiences? How are you going to bring this person over? How are you going to keep them here? How is all that going to work? Versus, here you have a young kid, great looks, incredible voice, extremely talented Mark Slaughter in Vegas that Dana brought into the mix. You know, how do you pass that up? And Initially, I remember having a conversation with Vinny where he was like, he told me, he's like, yeah, he says, you know, I really want, you know, the guy from, you know, overseas, but, you know, I'm being told that because of all these different obstacles that it might not be the right choice that this guy Mark Slaughter, he says, but Mark, he says, Mark's really young. He's like, I don't know. And I was like, well, Vinny, I said, what does age have to do with this? And he says, well, I just, I want somebody who's older, who's some, you know, somebody who's more seasoned. He said, you know, he's like you and I. And I was like, Vinny, I said, how fucking old do you think I am? <laughs> and he was like, well, I, I figure you and I are about the same age, early 30s. And I was like, dude, I said, Mark Slaughter is a year older than I am he was like, it's interesting. And it's like, you have to look at it that, you know, Mark is an extremely talented guy, and he's basically Las Vegas. It's right down the street when you think about it from, you know, L.A. Not literally, but it's close. Um, You know, to bring him in and to have him do it, Mark was really a very, very good singer. I mean, it might not have been Vinny's first choice, But it was really the best choice. And, you know, there's a lot of things that went on behind the scenes that, you know, thankfully Mark never got discouraged and walked away. And I know that Vinny has talked about, you know, the record company not doing things the right way as far as picking up his option and him being able to get out of the record label and yada yada and all that. That isn't really what happened. Anytime you join a band, or at least it used to be, record deals are a lot different now, but it used to be when you joined the band, a record company would do a signing option because they had to sign you to their label to sing on it. They would always put a clause in that they would have first option to pick you up if you were to ever leave that band or if, you know, for whatever reason you parted ways. And Chrysalis knew what was coming down when the very first time when the video was shown for um what was that love Mm kills yep that's when the nightmare on elm street was happening that looked like that was going to be a pretty big deal for the band when that video premiered on mtv you can't imagine what it was like to sit on a bus and the video comes on mtv everybody's excited And then you see Love Kills, the Vinnie Vincent Invasion featuring Mark Slaughter. (laughs) It was dead silence. (laughs) Tension. At that point, nobody wanted to even look at the video. But the record company even knew. They wanted Mark's option. They knew that Mark could write songs. He didn't have the opportunity to write those songs in Vinnie's band. Vinnie was a songwriter, and Mark used to always say, man this guy can write some songs uh, you know he's like i don't know that i could ever write a song that good well mark pretty much proved that he could write a song that good <laughs> right you know but yeah, you know, mark is a, a really very very talented guy and it's i understand where vinny could be you know a little pissed off but why not be happy vinny gave him a break and Maybe he feels like, you know, the guys all betrayed him because they laughed, but it happens in life. Mm-hmm. You know, when you get together, it's like marriages. You get together, you're married for a couple of years, you grow apart. You don't have to walk away and hate each other. You know, there's no reason why you can't cheer each other on. He gave Mark his first break. Now, did slaughter happen because of Vinnie Vincent? No, it happened because it was good marketing. It was a good record. It worked, you know, but Vinny gave him his first break, and he should be happy about that. He shouldn't be pissed off at Mark, you know. Yeah. I mean, Vinny would have just as much of a right, even though he talks very highly of Robert Fleshman. Robert's an incredible vocalist. Robert left when they got ready to tour, and then when they did The Boys Are Gonna Rock video, turned around and sued Vinny and won $60,000 that he had to pay. I mean, I'd be a little bit more pissed off if the guy I had to pay money to because he didn't want to be there, and then he sued me for doing it, you know. But that's me.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then the other thing that's strange uh, is uh, when you look at um, the way Vinny will talk about Paul and Gene, he tends to talk about them pretty positively today. You know, like he, he talks about how oh, it was so great, you know, being in Kiss, and and, and and we all know he sued those guys a million times. It's just funny how he's kind of let the bygones be bygones with KISS, but with with, uh, Vinnie Vince Invasion members, he just doesn't have that same feeling.
0: Well, and it all goes to, you know, in the 80s, when Vinnie was out on his own, he didn't really want to talk about KISS. He did not want to sign pictures or things that happened with KISS. He didn't want to sign any of the pictures of him in makeup. Yeah, that sort of thing. But, it happens. I mean, then he thought he was going to overtake what KISS had already done. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Here we are now, 40 years later, KISS is still going strong, you know? So why not jump on that bandwagon? Yeah. If you sat down and said, yeah, but during the Look It Up, Alton, didn't you tell everybody how they put you in a roach motel and how you were living worse than, you know, poverty <laughs> people? Yeah. You know. He's not gonna to wanna to talk about that. He's gonna to wanna to talk about what the great times that they had, what musical chemistry they had, and they did. But you know, there's good and bad. It's like with any job. You can have the best job in the world, but you're still gonna come home and you're gonna tell your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your partner, whoever, you're still gonna tell them what a lousy asshole your boss is, <laughs> even though you really love your job. Right. It's just human nature. It's the way it works. Um
1: Last thing on Vinny Vincent, uh, where do you see him going career-wise? You know, you always hear rumblings that he's going to put out an album or he's going to do this. I mean, I was shocked when he actually resurfaced. I didn't think he ever was going to resurface. So, do you think he'll get it together and put out a book and put out something substantial that people will want, or is he just going to do these appearances till the end? Or what? Do you, what are your thoughts?
0: Well, I tell you that when Vinny finally did resurface, um, that was like i want to say the the best week of my life because i spent a lot of time at that point talking to bobby rock to mark slawner to Dana Strom, you know and a horde of other business people that never ever thought they'd they'd ever hear from vinnie again so in that respect i was really glad that he came back out because i really got to reconnect with a lot of people it was very close two years ago um but getting back to like your question do I believe he's ever gonna put anything out? No. Mm -hmm. If he did put something out, he didn't have much of his success on those first two, you know, Invasion albums. The first record, you know, did pretty good. Second record was starting to do way better than the first one, but it still didn't achieve that gold status. Mm -hmm. And bands nowadays, the way that things are marketed, it's a tough market for bands. And You can't just throw it out and think that your name's gonna carry you through it, because there are a lot of diehards that you say Vinnie Vincent to, they know who it is, but there's also a lot of other people who go, who? Right. So, you know, and it's just, it's it's a whole different world. You know, bands, they're not even releasing albums anymore. You know, they're releasing singles. I mean, you go out and you see bands, used to be fun you know you said 1986 you got in the kiss well it was great because they just put out a new record Mm -hmm. (laughs) so you went out there and you celebrated the new record you you saw them on tour you couldn't wait to hear some of the new songs and hear the classics but now what is it it's like the bands that are out there i mean I, i dare say this without people wanting to you know string me up but They've become nostalgic acts, yeah, big time, yeah, you know, and but I also understand that because from a business point of view, why would you want to go out and spend thirty forty thousand dollars on recording a new record and then nobody buy it, and you're only going to rely on trying to recoup that money from streams yeah it, it's It's never going to make any sense. you have to do it for artistic sake right and as much as you want to try to be creative, it's hard to be creative knowing that you're going to lose your ass on something. Well, but so getting to your question (laughs) now, I don't think that, uh, I think, um, I mean, I wish the guy the best. I was real. I'm glad that he's healthy. He's happy. Things are going well for him. Um, hopefully one of these days I run into him, I'll get to say hello. And, uh, make sure in person that he's okay, even though I've heard from a lot of people that have been to his little uh, gatherings that he's done. Um, They say that he's really happy, everything's great, and that, to me, is the best, you know? Go to SIR when he does his little things and go see the guy. Um, Me, personally, if I went, you know, I couldn't sit through watching somebody wail away on a guitar for two hours.
1: No, no way.
0: You know, I want to hear... I want to hear songs I want to hear melody man I want to be able to you know stand there and I mean I'm not a dancer but you know you want to feel like you want to get up and dance you know Mm -hmm. you want to have a good time with it but I'm not a guitar player who can sit there and just watch somebody play and just go wow
1: no me you know that's yeah
0: it's just it's not my thing
1: Talking about personalities, all right. So, Brittany Fox has had internal issues uh, during their career that that still haunt them today. Um, what are just some memories of, of working with them? Uh, thoughts on Dizzy Dean? What can you share about Brittany Fox?
0: Um, I love those guys. Um, I really did. Uh, always had, um, you know, when I started to work for them, the big difference between. Like Vinnie Vincent and Britney Fox was, we had four guys there and the manager and the record company that understood the importance of the fan club. You know, when I went to them, uh, we sat down with their manager and talked to him, And it was like, well, how about if we offer people this or if we offer people that, you know, like the MTV thing or if they write to magazines, if they get a letter published in the magazine, maybe we should send them an eight by ten. But everything was always based on getting back to people, making sure that people felt connected to the band, regardless of who sent the letter. If it was a typed up letter that we were just inserting your name in there, dear Mike, you know, thanks for your note, you know, and then one of us sign it and send it to you. It made you feel included. You know, it made you feel important that you got acknowledged, because how many times back then did you send out a letter to somebody you'd never heard anything again? It's like when you send an email to somebody and they don't respond to you. Yeah. You <laughs> know, when when you finally do get one, you're just like, wow, you feel like you hit the lottery. Exactly. Um, so in that respect, Brittany Fox was really good. Um, I loved sitting down talking to Michael uh, Kelly Smith Michael was really the business guy of the band. Yeah. Um, he knew a lot about it. He understood it a lot. Um, he studied it because of the situation they had with Cinderella. Right, right. Um, having been in Cinderella and then basically been told, hey, look, we have to replace you and the drummer, so you have to go and we're going to hire people. And then they went on to huge success. Oof, yeah. He had to start all over. Um Michael was a good guy. I enjoyed talking to him. Um, Billy was a lot of fun. He was always the guy I'd go out and get something to eat with. <laughs> He's
1: um, cool. He's cool to talk to, Billy. Yeah.
0: yeah. Johnny D loved the fucking guy. Um, and for the longest time, you know, I always said that uh, I felt like Johnny and I had a love-hate relationship mm-hmm. because he would pick on me, I'd pick on him, and, you know... Sometimes you think, man, why is that guy such a dick? And I'm sure he was thinking the same thing about (laughs) me. Probably more him thinking that about me than me about him. But um, I love Johnny. And to see him still out there, still playing with Doro, you know, has his son, looks just like Johnny, um, you know, and his wife living over in Germany. I think that's great. I am so happy for that guy.
1: Yep.
0: Um, Dizzy. Interestingly enough, about, I want to say maybe 10 years ago, I had talked to Dizzy and he was living um, someplace in uh, Pennsylvania. And I was invited to go to uh, one of the KISS Expos. And on my way up, I stopped and I saw Dean. And we sat, we had lunch, um, we had a nice conversation. Really nice guy, seems to be a little, um, little swayed by whatever is going on in the world at the time. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is the first Britney record, very cool record, very kiss ACDC type of vibe. Definitely. You know, which is pretty much what the first Cinderella record was, too. Um, but that was the influence that they were both drawing from around the same time. Second record, you know, Kind of had your dream on, you know, a little bit of a poisonish type of ballad. Then yep. Dean left Britney and he wanted to put together Black Eyed Susan, basically like the Black Crows, trying to do a little rock version of that. I mean, sometimes, you know, really talented guy, really, really nice guy, you know. We had a good lunch, and uh, it was good to see him. And hopefully one day, you know, I'll catch up with him again. I understand he's living in Arizona these days.
1: Oh, okay. He seems, from from <laughs> all the vibes that I get, you know, it seems like the rest of the guys would love to do something, but he's kind of the loose end who is pretty much done with the Britney Fox thing and, and doesn't want to do it again. So I don't know if they'll ever be able to reunite or, or anything like that. It sounds like no.
0: You know, I tell you, it would be... I think it would be a good thing if they tried to do something again. Um, they were a good band, a tight band. Um, you know, they'd be out there playing on that, you know, as I said before, nostalgic, uh, you know, circuit, but right. that's okay. Um, you know, that would be a good thing, you know, for those guys to go out and to play. I think people would be interested to see it. I mean, the last, I believe it was uh, Billy who put together the last version of uh, Britney that went out and toured around for a while. But it's just not the same. No. I mean, I love Tommy Paris as a vocalist. I mean, when Tommy came in and replaced Dean, I was like, wow. And the Bite Down Hard record, not dogging on Boys in Heat, but Bite Down Hard fucking just kicked its ass. It's amazing. You know, it's, it's a good album.
1: A- yeah, no doubt, man. Yeah. Just poorly timed, you know, just bad timing uh, with the musical direction of things. So
0: Yeah, well, and timing is everything and a whole lot of luck. And unfortunately, that record came about a year too late.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Maybe two years too late, but, you know, it was, it was a good, solid record, and It's certainly one that, um, you know, having worked with the band and stuff, you know, the first record, that record going gold, that was a huge milestone, but then bite down hard, seeing those guys get right back on track. Like I said, I, I, I guess you could look at it like, you know, Kiss went through their dynasty, unmasked the Elder, and then Creatures came back and they kicked it again. Well... Thankfully, Britney only had one record in between to transition them into kick ass band again. <laughs>
1: yes, definitely. Let, let me ask you one final thing here about Kiss. Um, what it, what's your relationship with the the original members today? Do you have any contact with them at all? And if you were in control of the Kiss Kingdom, let's say you you were uh, the head of all their affairs, what are some things that you would do differently today for this band, different than what they're doing?
0: Well, uh. Let's go with the first part first. Sure. Um, you know, do I have a relationship with any of them? I still occasionally see Ace every now and again. I like Ace, always have liked Ace. Um, he's very friendly when he's out on tour. Uh, usually his road manager will call me when they're in the area and invite me out. Um, last time I saw him, it was at the uh, KISS convention or KISS exhibition expo as they call it uh in new jersey a couple years ago ace's manager came out and he was like david have you seen ace he's like come on you know with me and i saw that line of all those people waiting to get a picture with ace and i said you know what dude um i have a picture with ace i've done that how about we let all these people go i'd love to say hi to them give them my best but i'm not going to walk up in front of all these people and piss them all off sure you know it's different when you're when you're working it. And I really appreciate the fact that, you know, his road manager asked me that, you know, to come and say hi to him. Um, You know, love Ace, Um, haven't seen Peter in many, many years. Mm -hmm. Um, The last time I saw Gene Simmons, um, you know, we had a nice little conversation, and I will say that, and somebody asked me this like two weeks ago, a friend of mine, I was out with him, and he stood to me and goes, who's the coolest member of KISS? He goes, if you could hang out with one member of KISS today, he said, who would you hang out with? And I said, um, out of all of them, I said, Gene Simmons, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, he may come across as being very arrogant, as always having the right answer, as being that smart business guy, always having an opinion. He puts his foot in his mouth a hell of a lot, but that's okay. I I'm kind of the same way, but at the same time, Gene is the most down-to-earth and most real out of all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, if you ask him for something, he was right there. You know, you had a question, you had a suggestion, he listened. And I like that about Gene. I will always respect that about him. And as far as, like, uh, you know, what kids are doing now and... uh you know, if I would change anything, I don't know that I would change anything. I mean, after 50 years, the band is, you know, doing what they're calling their end of the road tour. And I can believe it this time because yep. they are getting up there in age. Definitely. Um, but it's a great show. It's, uh, you know, KISS supersized. But, um, you know, there is a time too when you have to remember it's time to leave a party.
1: Yeah. Yep, no, definitely.
0: Yeah, you know, But, you know, I mean, I like I said, I still love the band. I mean, I'm not, uh, you know, am I a big fan? Absolutely. Um, I don't listen to Kiss every day. I, you know, have way too much other music that I love so much that, you know, I mix it all in. But I listen to it enough that I drive my wife completely insane with it, especially when I'm in the car. So... <laughs> Yeah, but that—that's a guy's, you know, part in life. You know, when you're a Kiss fan as a guy, you know, you want to make sure that you uh, drive your partner nuts as much as possible. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, David, I really appreciate the time tonight, man. You gave, gave me a lot of cool insight on Kiss and Vinnie, Britney Fox. Um, really glad to hear about the Eric Carr uh, documentary, and, and really hope that that does come out uh, at the end of the year. Because, like I said, I've heard a lot about that, and. Uh, Uh, it sounds like it's going to be a great story. So really appreciate
0: the time, man. All right. Anytime, Mike.
1: Well, that was great talking with David. Hey, I've been on a cover kick lately. You got to check out my recent cover of Alice Cooper's I'm 18. I'll put a link in the description below. Rock on.